I am not Pastor Ron, but here he comes. Hey, come on up. up. Wow. Hi. First of all, I just want to say this man can preach. Wow. Awesome. This man can also preach. Yeah. I've tried it a few times. He has tried. But, But really what I wanted to say just before we get into this, you know, we gave the announcement about the Connect Team meetings immediately after the service, but I really wanted to to invite any of you who maybe maybe you're not on the Connect team yet and you haven't volunteered in, in any way here. And, and what, what the Connect teams are, they're the ones that are the greeters, um, the ushers, they're the ones that work in the kid check system, they're, they work at the welcome center and in, in, in the parking lot. And maybe you haven't volunteered and you'd like to do that, then we're, we're inviting you to come to this meeting as well. You don't already have to be a part of a Connect team to come. And, 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 and coming to the meeting doesn't mean you have to do something, but, but just come and check it out and see what, what it entails. You know, it's, it's so exciting that we're going into two, two services, and, and we do. We need, we, we need more people. So if you're even slightly thinking about it, just come to lunch and, and have lunch on us. And just see what's going on here at, uh, at Edgewood Church. Amen. Pastor Ron? Hey, this, this series is called The Songs of Christmas, and Pastor Ron's going to sing for us now. Uh, if, you, if that wasn't enough of a reason to just go to the meeting, the food smells really good. So what else do you have to do? Is football on? I don't... Who cares? Just show up. Hey, it's great to see you all today. Lots of new faces out there. Hi. Some, some new faces coming back, and uh, those guys back there. I just thought it was great. I, I walked into church this morning very excited. Uh, it's, it's exciting every single week, but for some reason this week just feels a little different. So our uh, series text for the songs of Christmas comes out of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 2, 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, everybody say it with me, if you, if you rehearse this in your Christmas pageant as a kid, just belt it out there the same way you would have when you were seven years old. So there, that, that was my song for the day, just kidding. All right. Yes, we're, so we're going over a uh, topics we got from this book, Christmas Playlist, by Alistair Begg. And since I've been reading a book by Alistair Begg all week, that means I've been thinking in a Scottish accent all week. So, you know, there's, uh, there's this something about songs, isn't there? Songs are just out there all the time. And now we're going to be looking at the Christmas songs. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this chance to be here together. We thank you for the spirit that we felt in this place today. We thank you for everybody who's come from near and far to hear your word and to worship you together as, as a body of believers. And we just ask that you would, you would move in us today, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would do something great in the lives of everyone that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. There are songs out there to tell stories Songs to communicate emotion, songs to celebrate, songs to sing about breakups. Those are some of my favorites. And I just, I don't, I love a good breakup song. Um, but there, there's this very human thing about singing and about songs and about music. Going back as far as human civilization has existed, people have, have done this weird thing. And it's, it's something that reflects something you see on a greater scale in nature, you know. But uh, there's songs for everything, you name it. Uh, They hold a very significant place in human culture. And 
Though there is a, a song for everything that there's always something to sing about, you know, when we, we sing and we, we praise the Lord and we worship the Lord in church and, and kind of the same way that there's a song for everything as far as celebration and, and emotions and all these other things, you know, we, commun- we use that, that thing to communicate our humanness to God and to and to uh, observe our relationship with Him and His relationship to us. It's something that we sing about, right? You have all the songs out there about relationships and celebration, and we do the same thing with God because there's this thing about a song that captures humanness and emotion in a way that regular words can't. And so that's why we, we worship the Lord the way that we do. Going back to the fourth century... As soon as Christmas became Christmas under the newly legalized uh, religion in the Roman Empire, uh, people were singing Christmas carols as early as the 4th century. Before that, they had Christmas hymns. They had, uh, you know, not, not so much set to music and widely known, but there were, there were hymns for Christmas going back as early as, I believe I have found one that was written as early as 130 A.D., it wasn't Christmas, because there was no Christmas at the time, because Christmas wasn't around until after the Emperor Constantine. Anyway, whatever. You, know, you, have, you have all these iconic Christmas songs and, you know, less iconic ones like Away in a Mango, which is going to be fun. It's going to be great, you know, but it's, I don't think it's ever going to be Away in a Manger. There's a Christmas song for everything as well. Uh, but what was the first Christmas song ever? The very first one. Let's take a look. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles today to Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, and we'll be reading down in verse 26. (laughs) In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and she's also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And notice how that, we'll come back to that one later, but just notice what happens next. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, and here's the first Christmas song ever recorded. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The first Christmas song, the Magnificat, right? Magnificat? Okay, I don't speak Latin. So, the first Christmas song is very interesting when you take a look at this story. There's a lot of very ordinary elements of the story mixed in with very extraordinary elements of the story. And that really is Christmas. Extraordinary meets ordinary. Because this is how God, who is extraordinary, came to meet us who is ordinary. The very roots of the Christmas story back in Isaiah, you can see this as well. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 7, uh, 10 through 14. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as, deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. He thought he was being very noble. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself, and look, notice those words, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So God insists on giving this sign to King Ahaz. He, he's, he's insistent. He has to do it. He's like, no, I don't need one. I'll just, I'll just, Whatever. You know, I'll, I'll just trust you. I'll just obey. You don't have to prove it. And God says, I will give you a sign whether you like it or not. This is very significant. and I don't have time really to get into that. But, but the sign, the sign that let it be as great as heaven or as, or as low as the grave is something so ordinary. It's a baby. A baby's going to be born. And I'd have to think King Ahaz would be just kind of like, is that the best you got? Like, like, you really made it out like this was going to be a big deal, and it's just a baby? I mean, there's nothing, nothing special about that whatsoever. Women have been having babies for all of time. Women have been having babies. For, I hope the algorithm doesn't pick that one up. <laughs> um, it's, it's not, it happens every day, okay? This is not something that's so big and earth-shaking that God would be like, I give a sign to you. <clears throat> Wrong. Absolutely everything special about a baby being born, isn't there? And this incredibly ordinary thing, a baby being born, is something incredibly extraordinary all at the same time. You see, there's, there's everything in the world special about it to the, to the family, to the child. This little miracle that happens. You know, I was having a discussion with somebody where I brought up, you know, that uh, it, it was something along the lines of, you know, clumps of cells. I say, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely, um, I, I love my kids. 
totally love my kids. And, and you guys should too. You know, you should all love your kids. You should all believe that you have the best kids in the world. And, you know, I just, everything that my kids do, it's just like so special. And, and I just, I have this great amount of attachment to them and love for them and take pride in them. And, you know, Christian got writer of the month last year at school, you know, for a poem about bullying. That was pretty cool, I thought. You know, but from the time that Christian and Levi were conceived, when those two things came together to create this thing that had a life of all of its own, those were the only Christian and the only Levi out of all the billions of people in the world who were ever going to exist. They were completely unique right there. You could not create, you could not do that again. No matter how many billions of times you tried, that was Christian, that was Levi, they would never be the same. And you even look at uh, Cameron and Karina, right? You guys shared the room for nine months. <laughs> yeah. And you two are different somehow. I mean, you're, you're both great, but I just, you, you know, think about that for a minute. This all happened at the same time. They shared the same room, and they're completely unique from each other. And in that same way, when Christ was born, God says, I'm going to send a, a child, I'm going to send a son, and that one baby is unique, not only in the sense that every baby is unique from an, every other baby, but this one baby is unique in the fact that he was going to be the only one in all of history who would be born the Son of God. Wow. The same way that you and I came into the world. Completely ordinary, yet incredibly extraordinary, all at the same time. And that is Mary's reaction. It's ordinary and extraordinary, all at the same time. Mary's reaction is fear. Wow, an angel just spoke to me. <laughs> and then she believes, and then the very next thing that she does is do what? Just to find somebody to talk to about it. She's a very ordinary thing that any one of you would have done. When, when you were pregnant, you would find somebody and you would, you would have a conversation, especially if it was, uh, you know, especially if it was one of those unexpected things, like, you know, maybe an angel talked to you. <laughs> so an angel appears and gives her this supernatural message. She's afraid. She goes to see Elizabeth. And now I want you to remember something. Remember, Mary went to Elizabeth for three months. Now, let's just plug, unplug ourselves from Luke for a moment and walk over, because these are real people, Okay. Let's unplug, our, unplug ourselves from Luke and go over to Matthew. And Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant in, in the book of Matthew is when that tells us about that. And he's minded to, to just put her away and, and divorce her privately because he's a just man. And now I would like to think that Mary being gone for three months to Elizabeth's house because she was, she stayed until John the Baptist was born. I'd like to think that that somehow related to that. I don't know how. Maybe Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, and then, and then Mary left. Maybe Mary left, went away for three months, and came back pregnant. Oh, start, start putting some, start putting, these are real people into this story, and all of a sudden, wow, okay, this is pretty messed up. Like, like did he send her away? Like, like, Go on, get out of here while I think about this. Did he, did he send her away to protect her? Did she run away be, to Elizabeth, who lived far away, to protect herself from being stoned as an adulteress? 
There's lots of real human elements that probably would have gone into this. But I told you to remember that when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, she greets her, and, and Mary does not spill the beans to Elizabeth about what's going on. And Elizabeth goes, you're carrying the Son of God. You walked in, and the baby that I have inside of me leaped for joy. And you are blessed among women, and you'll be called the mother of the Most High God. Okay, so that all of a sudden makes things, uh, hey, Elizabeth, how, you, how did you know that? <laughs> so all of this extraordinary and ordinary comes together in Mary's song. And Mary's song spills out of this, you know, the angel's message is this wonderful thing. And then Elizabeth's praise to her is this wonderful thing. And Mary's song comes out of that. And Mary's song tells us two things about God. The first one is that God is mindful. God is mindful. Mary says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. See, Mary's praise for the Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices, all of that's like up there, right? My soul, magna my soul does this. Why? Because God's looked down here where I am. God's mindful of me. God's remembered me. God, for, for, no, for no reason that we could figure out, has chosen me and looked at my humble estate. And you'd have to think she's asking, you know, why me? Why insignificant me? Why me who is unknown, unspecial, unqualified, why me? Why? Why are all generations going to call me blessed when I come from a place of such humility and nothingness? And, you know, if you remember from last year, because somehow I, I drew straws to get a sermon about Mary two, two years in a row. Yeah, wow, that's... Poor Mary. Uh, you know, we remember what was special about Mary. Nothing really, except that she found grace in God's eyes. She obeyed. She believed. That was it. As God said, I chose you. And she says, okay, well, I'll do it. And then she had faith. And, and God made her this woman, this woman who celebrated um, more than any other woman in history. You see, God's mindful of Mary, but this is bigger than Mary, isn't it? God's mindful of Mary because God is mindful of his people as a whole. He was mindful of Israel. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, through Mary, God was keeping his promise to Abraham. Through Mary, God was doing something that he had said Probably 2,000 years before, give or take, I don't, know, I don't know when it was. I didn't look it up. Sorry, I failed you. <laughs> ages and ages before, generations and generations before, the stuff that Mary would have sat around about it would have sounded like a legend from way back. God was keeping his promise from that through her. He's doing some uh, recording for uh, something here the last week, and yeah, I was 
teaching in Philippians chapter 1, and, you know, the Philippians 1, I think it's verse 5, it says, you know, uh, be, be certain he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we throw that verse around like, yeah, God's going to finish what he started. Yeah, he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a long time from now, people, right? But God's always completing his work, always. No matter how small it starts, he completes it. As time goes on, he never stops working. And so this promise that was given to Abraham thousands of years later through Mary is still going and is still working. God is keeping his promise to Abraham. Look at Isaiah 9, that other great Isaiah Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, on the who? On the throne of David. You and I have not spent a minute of our time in the last 364 days thinking about the throne of David. God was keeping his promise through Christ. Remember, this is a very Jewish story before it's a very Christmas story. The throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Through Abraham... God's keeping, remember, what, remember Abraham had the same path that Mary did. God chose Abraham. You know, Mary found grace in the eyes of the Lord, believed and obeyed. Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord, believed and obeyed. And through Abraham, God's keeping a promise to the whole world. So it's not just about Mary, it's not just about Abraham, it's about the whole world. Look at Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then later it says, And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So God was keeping his promise to Abraham so that he could keep a promise to the whole world. And now look at, here's Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah chronologically is one of the last things that's recorded in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's not at the end of the Old Testament, but chronologically, there's not very much that happens after that, you know, Malik. Uh, anyways, yeah. So if you think about it in that respect, this is one of the last things that a Jew remembers when he reads his Bible. Here's Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 6. After the Babylonian captivity, and he returns to rebuild the wall. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and Gave to him the name of Abraham. Oh, Abram. I said Abraham earlier. Sorry. You found his heart faithful before you. 
and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Here's Nehemiah on the heels of what could have been the very end of God keeping his promises to the Israelites. They've been carried away, their city's been destroyed, things kind of look like they're not coming back for any good, right? But God doesn't want, God, God wasn't done keeping his promises then. God kept his promise to bring them back to Jerusalem the way that he told them they would possess it, but God still wasn't finished. And after Nehemiah starts what ends up being, you know, one of the darkest 400 years of Israelite history, and everything looks hopeless, and everything looks like God has failed, and then what happens? The hopes and fears of all the are In a little town, that was my song, in a little town... A little town of Bethlehem. You and I probably couldn't find it on a map. Nobody really cared about a little town of Bethlehem. But in that little town, in some nondescript manger, there was some nondescript woman who gave birth to the one who was going to, who was going to meet the hopes and fears of all of history. In a spectacular manner. That was also incredibly ordinary. God is mindful. Every step of the way, God is mindful. Every step of the way, God remembers. Every step of the way, God hasn't forgotten what he's doing or started working on something else and just kind of lost track of time. Every step of the way, God is mindful and he always keeps his promises. And how can God always keep his promises? That's the second thing in Mary's song, about Mary's song that tells us about God. God is not just mindful, God is mighty. God is great. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has shown strength with his arm. We know who God is, don't we? We know that God is the creator of all things. We know that God is the one who is so great and so powerful and so mighty that he could just, out of nothing, create everything that there is. Just simply by saying, let it be. We know that there's nothing greater or stronger or mightier than our God. We sing about it all the time. We read about it through all of the, uh, through all of the Bible. God is just great and God is amazing. When you think about the size of this universe, for instance, you know, there are like how many billions upon billions of stars, okay? It, it took something extraordinary to build that, you know, to, to make that, okay? So, so we're talking about billions with a B, just, and, and you know what? Genesis says, and he made the stars also. It's one of the funniest things, right? You know, I've, I've done this before where I have talked for like three minutes about how big the universe is and then read the book, uh, the chapter, the verse in Genesis where it's like, and he made the stars also. <laughs> My old pastor, he says, it, he says, it, he wrote it like this, and he made the stars also. 
just kind of flexed a little bit. <laughs> just, yeah, I did that. Okay, but now all of that is made out of stuff that you can't see. All of that is made out of stuff that is so tiny that it's practically nothing. Right, Jim? Protons and electrons and atoms and all that, there's just nothing to it. And all that stuff works in such a way that, you know, you and I could never build that. And you and I could never make that. These tiny little things that you have to, you know, for the longest time, we didn't even know about they existed. And God, who, who did all of that, did all of this. You know, it's like the, the guy who builds the highway doesn't usually design the smallest detail of the highway. The guy who builds the house doesn't usually uh, hand carve every tiny little piece of whatever. But God who created the whole thing also thought up and made the tiniest little nothing. God is mighty. And you know what? His mercy extends from generation to generation. God could refuse to look at us in mercy. He would be, he'd have absolutely every right to refuse to look at us in mercy. And when I know myself, and when I talk to some of you, I think, you know what, he should. Because <laughs> what in the world is so good about me or about you that God would look on us with kindness? What in the world is so good about me or about you that we're just somehow worthy of God's forgiveness and God's love and God's affection? Absolutely nothing. But God's kindness and God's faithfulness is on par with his creative power. <laughs> you know why I was excited to come to church today, right? <laughs> uh, God's kindness and his faithfulness is on par with his creative power and majesty. He did all of that, and then he cares about you and I. Wow. But, and he's left some people out, though. Yeah, okay. Let me, that was a really awkward transition to the next point. <laughs> Who's he left out? Look at verse 41, 51, sorry. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. See, God, God should want the mighty, shouldn't he? After all, he's mighty. That's who he should be after. God should want the rich and those who are exalted. That's who should matter. God should be after people who have something to offer. Right? But God instead turns to those who love him and who fear him. God ignores what you and I see as importance, what you and I see as riches, as, you, as what you and I see as worthwhile to live our lives after. He ignores all of that and instead turns to the humble, to those who would fear him, and to those who would love him. And, you know, what, I think something that Mary's song captures is the fact 
that to know God is to be humble. Now, we don't always live that out the best way, but you can't understand that this creator of all the universe has chosen you and, and sent his son to die for you and then turn around and have pride. That's why, I think one of the, that's why I think pride is one of the worst of all sins in the Bible because it simply doesn't, doesn't compute. Simply doesn't compute. To know God is to be humble. And to know God is to have something better than all of the thrones of the wicked. Than all the exaltations that the world has to offer. Than all the might and all the riches. To know God is to have something better than all of that. And those two things that Mary's song tells us, God is mindful of us and God is mighty. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. See, everybody knew that God did great things. Everybody knows that. Even people who don't believe in God know that. It's funny because everybody thinks something about God, even if you don't believe in him. I really, want to, I really want to talk for like a half an hour about that. Never mind. The Mighty One has done great things for me. He's not just done great things. He's not just out there being the creator and being all powerful. He's done great things for me. And for those of you who know him, he has done great things for you. And uh, Alistair Begg says in his book, the greatness of God is not revealed in his isolation from us. The greatness of God is revealed in his intimacy with us. The greatness of God is not in the fact that he created all of this stuff, but the greatness of God is the fact that he chose to be close to you and I. And, and Jesus Christ coming to this earth, ignoring all the worship of heaven, ignoring all the privilege that came with being God. Is that a privilege? Oh. Ignoring all of that stuff, laying all that stuff aside to become a man really is the greatness of God. Because he just made the stars also. He sent his son for you and I. He created us all as individuals when all that stuff was just like, eh, he made you a miracle and then sent a miracle to this earth to redeem us. You know, we were, uh, Pastor Joel and I were out hunting last Saturday and I shot my buck in the morning and Pastor Joel came out to meet me in the afternoon and we, we got out in the ground blind at about two in the afternoon. And a couple hours go by and we don't see anything. And he's like... We haven't seen anything yet. It's all right. We got time. All right. I have all the confidence in the world that we're going to see something. All the confidence of somebody who's already filled their tag for the day. Um, it's, it's been two hours. We haven't seen anything. Sorry. We got time. We got an hour and 24 minutes. Any time now. Oh, oh, there goes a fawn. Ah, it's too small. Can't you? Yep. We got time. Hey, we only, we only got an hour now. Yep. We got time. And then, you know, a couple deer come in and they don't offer a shot and, and it's just like, oh, bummer. Oh, and I'm like, hey, we got time. I'm not like some sort of an expert hunter, but I know things. 
I know in the next 24 hours it's going to start storming, and that corn was cut less than a week ago. There haven't been any hunters out. We got this. We got time. Then good things are going to start happening soon. Don't worry. And then it's like, you know, 45 minutes left, and oh no, and then there, there goes the deer that we can't shoot, and oh, and then here comes another one, that gets, and they're, they're just coming from every direction, and every single time, Pastor Joel's sitting here like, oh, we got, and I'm like, we got time, okay, and then about 10 minutes before the end of legal shooting light, in walks the deer, Pastor Joel makes a good shot, in fact, de- generations from now, legends will be told about how amazing the shot was. <laughs> And I said, what did I tell you? I said, we got time. God chooses Abraham, and Abraham says, I'm as good as dead. I'm 90 years old. 90? No, no, no. I can't, I can't have us. You, you say you're going to make a great nation out of me. I don't have any kids, and, you know, clock's ticking. And God says, we got time. And you know what? The Israelites are taken into slavery and they're, they're being oppressed by the Egyptians, you know, because God keeps his promise to Abraham and time goes on and they say, you know, we were supposed to be a great nation and here we are serving these pagan, these, these pagan people and uh, we're in slavery and God says, we got time. And then they're, they're struggling and they're afflicted and God sends up people to deliver them and it just seems like everything kind of spirals downhill and along comes this boy named David and he says, I'm going to make you king. And it's like, yeah, right. That ain't going to happen. I know how these things work. That means that I die. Right, because Saul was king. God says, we got time. And then David enters the throne and his descendants are just terrible people for the most part and they, they, keep, they keep failing and failing and failing over and over again and the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs of the Bible say, you know what God, you said you were going to make a great nation out of us and guess what? The Babylonian army's right outside the gate and you already told us you're going to deliver us to them and we know what the Babylonian armies do we know how powerful they are we know that we don't have a chance and God says we got time And then generations later, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That was Galatians 4.4. God always has time. And when you and I would sit here looking on with doubt, with, with just frustration, with maybe God's forgotten, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing, God is not encumbered by our shortcomings as humans who don't have all the time in the world. God always has time. And he never forgets. And he always keeps his promises because he is mindful of us and he is mighty. And all those things that make us human, all of our failings, all of our doubts and fears, don't slow him down one bit. And that is the story of Mary's song. You can trust God because he is mindful of you and he's mighty. He's not just great, but he's done great things for you. Thank you all. You guys can stand up. Let's worship God. the highest <laughs>
Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you. That you are mindful of us, Lord. Lord, in, in this world, those who are mighty use their might against others. But you use your might for me. And we want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. We want to thank you, Lord God, that you don't forget. Oh, Lord, we want to thank you that you're not on vacation, that you're not taking a nap, that it didn't skip your mind, but that you know everything about each one of us individually. Just as you know all of the stars and you, you know them each by name, the billions of stars that you so casually created, you know my every thought. And you know my every need. And I thank you that right now you are moving in each heart and in each life. And Lord, give us ability to wait, to wait on the Lord, and to trust you in the waiting, and to know that in it all, you are working, and you will have your way. We give you thanks, and we give you praise, in Jesus' name. Just before I pray the benediction, Pastor Ron, is, did he already go to the back? Make sure you greet him this morning. And then again, just want to remind everyone that immediately following the service, there will be the Connect Team meetings in the gym, and there will be a lunch for everyone. And again, uh, this is for anyone. If you're even just thinking about maybe volunteering to work in, in, in some way in our Connect Teams as a greeter or as an usher or as a kid check worker or as a welcome uh, team worker or the parking working out in the parking in whatever way just come and come and check us out you're not signing your life away and you don't have to do anything but maybe you might want to and then and you get a free meal out of it so it's going to be awesome <laughs> and we want to thank you in advance we just want to thank all of our volunteers without you we could not do what we're doing <laughs> really thank you so much for your faithfulness to, to Edgewood Church. Lord, we, again, Lord, we're just overwhelmed with gratitude for who you are and for all that you're doing. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.